0: Hi, welcome to Stammer Stories. My name is William Lavin and I'm the yeah. host and founder of this podcast. In this podcast we talk about stammering from all perspectives. I'll be talking people who Stammer, people who work in the Stammer, field, who also people who have a genuine in the topic. And today's e- e- episode is a New Year's Eve special and I've got a very exciting guest joining me today. Welcome, Samira. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you and Happy New Year. <laughs>
0: Happy New Year. So Samira is actually our first, is a parent of a child, who, of someone who stammers. So we're going to be discussing the parent perspective of someone who, who stammers, who we've never really discussed, but also we're going to discuss the work that we do, that we both do for my for the Michael Palin Centre and actual stammering children. So Samira, can you introduce yourself and tell the viewers what you do for a living?
1: Sure. Uh, my name is Samira Ahmed. I'm a journalist and a broadcaster. I've been doing it all my life since, oh, 1990. I first joined the BBC and I worked at Channel 4 News. I've worked for Deutsche Welle TV in Berlin. And I currently present Front Row, which is the Radio 4 Arts programme and Newswatch on BBC One and the News Channel. And I make documentaries and I write articles. And one of my documentaries was Art of Persia about the history of Iran.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. So real varied. Uh, so you must really get to hear like, different people's stories, but also learn so much about like different in like different in 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 in, in, in industries. But there's here like different aspects as well.
1: Yeah, I started out as a straightforward news reporter. I was a news trainee, so kind of graduate intake programme. And I worked on Newsnight and the Today programme and I was a correspondent in Los Angeles and I covered the O.J. Simpson civil case and a lot of crime reporting. And I gradually got more interested in arts reporting. I did a degree in English and um, I'm really lucky. I kind of straddle both worlds. So a lot of the documentaries I make, they might be superficially about pop music or culture or history, but they're really also exploring what's going on and what's going on with our politics and our social attitudes and everything. And the great thing about journalism is the older you get, the better you get, because you remember the first time something happened and you then have, you know, expert knowledge from first-hand witnessing of events.
0: Wow. And have you come across, so, so I mentioned at the start about your son's damas and have you come across many people during your job of people who stammer? Have you come across it quite a lot or, or do you think you notice it more now? Because of your son's stammer, do you think you notice stammering more?
1: Such a good question. I have encountered, I think, very few people in my professional life who stammered. However, I think I tend to notice now when I think someone has a slight stammer. Um, I'd like to think I'm more mindful and cautious, Um, although I'll be the first to admit that I still have a bad habit sometimes of interrupting people. I always used to be one of those super fast talkers. Um, But it amazes me how many people probably live with a stammer but are able for different reasons to keep it hidden, maybe because it's a a stammer that's to do with getting something out in the first place rather than a a repetition of a certain sound. But it's one of those things when you have a family experience, you suddenly enter a new world and you do research and you meeting many other families who were going through the same thing made me realise how widespread it is. And crucially, I think, William, that, you know, we still don't understand much about it. It's not a disability. And yet it's not the same as having, say, an allergy or something. So people don't really know what to make of stammering, do they?
0: then I think that's where people get confused about it because like some people don't see it as, as, as a disability but some people see it part of, of their fabric and they see it as them but some people see it as to do with the brain like I know someone who moved from country to country when they were younger and the twangs of a different like the, not the languages but like from the accents caused them to start stammering Like someone, I I was literally speaking to you today. He was speech, and that's what made him realize the fact he had a stammer. Like some people don't realize that they stammer until they may get a prompt, or then they go, That makes sense, or that's interesting. And have you had other family members who stammer, or was your son the first person in your family to stammer?
1: Our son was the first person in in both my and my husband's family to stammer. So, you know, that was really interesting because once we had it diagnosed, then, you know, you tell your extended family and they're all puzzled. And I I know we met other families when we were getting treatment at the Michael Palin Center and through the action for Stammering Children charity that it can run in families and often does but it can also come out the blue. And also, we don't know why, but it tends to be more common in men, boys rather than girls. Yeah.
0: And I I don't think I really noticed that until a few years ago, but but when I think about it, looking at my Michael Palin Center group, there are way more boys than girls in the cohort. So when did you realize your your son first had a stammer and, How was it when you found out? Did you know before or did it click when you spoke to to the medicals for advice?
1: Well, it was weird. The first time anyone raised the possibility there was something to do with his fluency was at nursery where they said, we think he should have some speech therapy. But I wasn't aware of him having a stammer or anything. But when he started school, Um, And yeah, so the fluency seemed to be around making, forming certain sounds correctly. Um, And they asked you all kinds of questions like, was he breastfed? Yes, he was. I couldn't blame myself for that. You know, it seemed to be to do with articulation rather than stammering. But when he started um, primary school, it became obvious that there was a stammer and it got worse and worse. And we we, we were still getting the help of a therapist, um, the same one who'd seen him since nursery. He was lovely but nothing was working and um, it was really tough and she was the one who said I think you should try and get seen at the Michael Palin Centre I think they might be able to help him and that changed our lives.
0: Wow and because I, I've only really started talking to my parents more about my stammer but now I'm understanding the topic more and the more I've been looking into the topic and I just saw like speech therapy just as a part of from my childhood, like every single week we go and see my speech therapist, like I didn't know it any, like different. And then it was quite a shock when they said, oh, you don't need speech therapy now. And that was five years without therapy. Then I went to secondary school because you're only, you only get therapy through the NHS until a certain age. And then it was sort of poor or uh, you can try and find therapy, but we both know that speech therapy is quite a postcode lottery and there may not be a therapist. And someone from my cohort at the Microphone Center, they had to travel from up north. They came down for a two week period because that was the closest uh, therapy network. And I couldn't really believe it. I thought surely there's there's one because well, I was very fortunate that there was one at a hospital just next door to my house. Just by chance, that there was one. Did you have to travel far for your son's speech IP before he went to Michael Palin Centre, or was it quite local?
1: We were quite lucky in that we live in London so. You know there's quite a lot of specialist care, but we were seeing a private therapist, and I used to drive him you know across Southwest London and um, you know to do that. So you know I know on the scale of things it was nothing, but added on to a long day for a very young child, you know my son was, I don't know eight. Or nine it was stressful for him I think I was very conscious that it was yet another thing he was being dragged to and there was a whole issue about whether he felt it was working for him you know he was the one it was supposed to benefit um, but the two-week course we did as well and the whole family did and there was a family who'd come from Aberdeen you know there were families that come from all over the country and to come down for two weeks and everything. Um, but we had experienced what you just described, William, which was we'd had the postcode lottery where no one was interested in trying in, in trying to fund or support our son through the NHS. And I am a, the, the epitome of a middle class, pushy mum. I was always polite. I didn't want to take anything that was we weren't entitled to. But they made it as difficult as possible um, to get um, access. And in the end, you know, the Michael Palin Centre were the ones who said, we can find a way to fund this place. Um, And so it's one of the reasons I've been very keen to support them ever since was because they found a way to support families when the NHS lottery too often would let families down unless, you know, I don't know. It's as if everything has got to be an utter disaster, you know, before they'll consider the fact that stammering could be helped through the right support, and that made me very angry. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't think like people really, really realise like the effect of it, as well. And I think speech, show, because of staring during your childhood, is quite a hard experience because you're you don't know anything different, and you also like kids are very direct. Like we all know that kids will just say the truth no matter what. and like The thing that I found really hard was the class register because my name was William, right at the end of, of my register, I would say their names really, really snappy I and mean, then they would just get to me and then the whole room would just go silence and those few seconds of just saying my name, you just felt every eye in that room just go so to you every single day. And actually starting children today, you got report, and, and it showed that between 16 and 20, 16 and 24-year-olds, over 27% think it's OK to make fun of someone with a stammer. Nice but, it, but it also proved that how much of the mental health effects it had for young children going through primary school of people stammering at that age. Because you're telling a child that there's something wrong with their voice, and that makes the child not want to use their voice. And no child. Yeah, well, Every child has the most creative brain and they have the most amazing thoughts and stories going through their head and no one should ever feel afraid to share that and express that because they are afraid of being bullied for how they're saying those words. I've spoken a lot on, on the podcast about the emotions of stammering from of people who stammer but also the emotions people who don't stammer and how they would react in certain situations so I had someone who I worked with and we spoke about like if we had a meeting and how if someone picked my stammer what would you do or have you ever felt that sort of emotion when you witness me stammer in a big situation but we've never discussed it from a parent's perspective and because you watched your son's stamina grow better over over the years, and seeing the change, but also seeing how much the therapy has helped, but also be confident in his own voice. What, how, how have you found this journey? But also, what have you learned from it as well?
1: It's been really powerful, actually. One, you feel helpless as a parent, you know, because you know you don't know how to support your child. And you know that it's them, only them, who's really experiencing it. And um, I think you know, it's every parent's instinct is you want, you want your child to be happy. You want to make whatever it is go away. And so my son couldn't say his name in register. Um, he would both stammer on sounds, but also he would, under stressful conditions, just could not utter, could not get a sound out. And um, I remember when my mother's 75th birthday happened, all the grandchildren... Cheswick's grandchildren all were going to make a speech or read a poem or do something. And, you know, my son couldn't, you know. And my mother, you know, she, I mean, she felt for him, but she also felt like, you know, it was such a shame. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. The thing was that once he did find the therapy helped and it made a very dramatic change, yeah. so that most of the time you wouldn't know he has a stammer at all anymore. He's gone from being silent to being just fully in his voice it's been moving to see him how how he uses it because as you said so beautifully you know there are all these wild exciting imaginations inside every child who stammers and people don't get necessarily to hear and see just who they are because we're so used to people expressing themselves verbally Um, I suppose it's one of the, the things about lockdown and people being able to be online more. Is in a way, it's probably been leveling the playing field a bit, but my son's sense of humor really came out. He tells great jokes and stories. Um, he's a he's such a talker now. You know, we talk politics a lot, um, and. And I've just been thrilled. And the, the weird thing is more that whenever I hear um, young people who stammer like yourself, I basically, I just, I just, my heart swells with just admiration and kind of pride at what you've achieved, because I know a little bit of what that journey is. And I just think you're the most amazing people on the planet, you know. Um, and if anything, although, as I say, I apologize in advance for whenever I do still sometimes step in and interrupt people. On the whole, I'm much more conscious of not doing that. And I get very angry when I can tell people are interrupting or not letting people take their time. And and that's about education, you know, and and a bit of patience. And too often schools and institutions don't seem to have the time and they don't prioritise it, you know, because stammering, you know, although, you know, it's widespread, you know, within a school there might be one or two cases at a time. Um, So it's never a big enough problem for a lot of schools to devote the resources to deal with it i think
0: yeah but that's really that like it so it's from like a different like parents perspective on seeing stammering from because like every parent's journey is different depending on how how this stammer is and i think because I'm the only person who well, going through school. like None of my family have stammered and growing up, mine was a very severe stammer, but it was really weird how I could always say my name. But now there's certain blocks that I have and it's just really weird. My like, people won't notice it, but it's something that I always do. It's if I'm like, one of the words that I find really hard is saying hello or hi, is that H there, the sort mm-hmm. of, when there's a big sort of letter like out of the H, like the big pronunciation, if someone walks past me and goes, hi, good morning, and for some reason, the hi just won't come outside, I just, my, uh, I feel bad that they've been saying oh, he didn't say hi back, but actually I am trying to say it, but by the time it's come out, you're the other side from the building. But I think there's certain moments like that where my stomach still affects me in quite a big way, because then I, that situation, the whole day and it's too late to go back and say because those few seconds that person's walked off but you still know that you said hi to each other and it's just having that block of like i've had people put down the phone on me because they've not realized that i was at the other end of the line and i've stammered or i've stammered for a call and they thought that that was the signal going so put the phone down but i guess There's some things that we can try and change, but I guess there's some things that you can't, and that's just reality, sadly. But as we both said that. So your son and I, we both went to the Michael Palin Centre, and the Michael Palin Centre changed my life because it taught me for the first time techniques that I could properly use in an everyday situation at my age. Like before, the techniques were sort of for younger, children like these are now techniques these in meetings or out with friends. And um, and they also told me for the first time what stammering is from a mental perspective, like like the iceberg or the emotions showing above the iceberg and the ones below. And my mom went to one of the days and and so like she met the other parents of the course. But it was the first time that I had surrounded myself with other People whose stammers were completely different to mine, so it made me realise how lucky my stammer was, and it was the person who taught me to love my stammer. How how did your son find the, the actual the experience, but also how did your how how did your son find the actual to experience, but also how much have you seen? of a change since the course I mean sort of spoke much but could you see a change straight away?
1: I did see a change pretty much straight away and I think the course was wonderful partly just because he was in a group with I think there were 10 of us one girl nine boys interesting and you know they all just everyone's stammer was different but everyone had something in common so it wasn't a big deal in a way so that straight away you know, kind of clears the hurdle. And for the parents, I think, I mean, we formed a Facebook group. And although we don't meet up or anything, we still post messages and wish each other happy birthday. Um, I mean, it's been more than 10 years since my son came on the course. Um, and, And I have real affection for all those parents. And, you know, we learnt, there was something of the sharing of the emotional burdens we would all been carrying and it manifests itself in different ways and again without prying into your family you know it can cause a lot of stresses within a um, a family and within a marriage because you know different people have different thoughts I would say I think a lot of the time in my experience it's the mothers who are taking the responsibility of trying to organize the therapy and rushing the children to and from and I remember being very protective of my son and once we were on a bus after a um, We'd gone to the Michael Palin Centre and my son was talking to me and he was, you know, stammering um, quite severely. And I I realised it was a woman who was staring at him and I turned to look at her and I gave one of my hard stares Um, because what could I say? And, you know, I just felt so angry because I thought she must be able to tell that he's got a stammer. And I just felt so angry because I felt helpless too I wanted to protect my son from this I you know that's those are the kind of emotions that um were were hard to deal with but I'll be honest as well I think as a mother and any time if you've ever had a child who's had an accident or you know we are fearless so I I wasn't afraid I just wanted I just if if I had any fear it was what would happen if we didn't get therapy and there's something that our when we were seeing this speech therapist the one who recommended we try and get to the michael palin center you know she said something to me which really kind of haunted me and she said that she had um a client who was a young man and you know he had he he, he went out with friends to the pub after work and no one knew he had a stammer because he never spoke and the idea that my son could somehow function through adult life and have the semblance of a normal life and yet not be speaking horrified me and that his so-called friends might not even notice. Um, and and so, you know, that, that seemed to me really important. So let's see what the therapy can do. Um, it wasn't about trying to get rid of the stammer, completely pretend it wasn't there. I know that's not what it's about, but it's about trying to give your child the best support to help them, you know, find a way to release some of that stress and find a way to you know, be themselves um, and hopefully to reduce some of the impact of the stammer. And as I say, Irene worked hard. You know, it was definitely, you know, we would make sure he did his exercises every day, that Tarzan video, if they still use it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we had a copy of that. It was like, have you done your Tarzan today? Um, so I think a bit like homework, you know, we nagged on it, but it paid off. Um, and the coping strategies, which only he now knows and only he knows when he's deploying them. Um, That's all innate, you know. So I have huge admiration for what all the young people have done because they're the ones who have to do the work. And it's mentally and physically demanding, I think, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Like, it is tiring. Like, I don't think people realise that stammering is quite tiring because we are putting so much pressure on ourselves. And if you've got a big presentation or a... Like meeting up with friends who want our speech to be perfect. So, we're giving us so much pressure to make our speech perfect when actually we may stammer more if we go ourselves more pressure. Yeah. Which is just a really odd aspect. And I think I, when I did my friend's best man speech, I said my first joke was to me my, because my stammer was. Was more nervous about my stammer than my actual speech. And my first line was I, I said this before in the podcast, which I said, Um, just so you know that I do have a stammer, so hopefully, hopefully, we will be done by lunch and by night time. <laughs> but it just made the whole room relaxed, yeah, relaxed about my stammer as well. But I've always been open talking about it. Like, my first thing I told my manager was, I stammer, but but I think. I don't think people understand how much of a difference it makes sort of just saying that I stand with it because I think it sort of relieves people of thinking oh shall I help them out or or maybe they won't want to answer that question or maybe they won't want to present those slides like I think there's having the confidence to say I am fine with them. I don't you don't need to worry about I may just need that extra few seconds. But I, I would love to talk to you about your your fascinating job. So you found like, some of the campaigns you and and like, some of the different shows. But what has been your favourite or your um, one one of your most proudest campaigns and then and pieces that you've worked on?
1: Mm. Um, it's it's tricky um, because sometimes the work you're proudest of hasn't always made a difference, so I made a film in South Africa about the so-called corrective rape of lesbian women, and there's a lot of homophobia um, in South Africa across all communities, and there's a lot of violence against women, and yeah, you know, I focused on the murder of this young woman who was a footballer, she'd been in the national women's team, and she was training to be the first female referee at the World Cup, which was being held in South Africa following year, and she'd been just, you know, attacked and killed on her way home uh, with friends. And she lived in a township um, near Johannesburg. And I met her family. And we made the story about um, how the the legal system was so useless, and they didn't really bother with a lot of these murders in in, um, townships. And um, violence against women really wasn't treated that seriously. And as a result of the piece, All the big broadcasters, I was working at Channel 4 News at the time, but CNN and the BBC, they all covered the trial that that they did catch some of the killers and they went on trial, although I think only one was convicted. Um, But it was just an insight into how how brave activists are and all these women who were campaigning to try and get justice. um, It shone a spotlight. So there was an element of shaming the South African authorities a bit. But by itself, it doesn't change anything. But I know the family was glad that I came. I met, you know, Yudi Similani's mother and her father and her brother. And in fact, I know her mother's since died. I'm still in touch with some of the activists there. So I feel that story mattered. Um, it won a Stonewall Award at the time. I don't think it's winning the award, but I think it's the recognition that it was, it was explaining a complex story about um, South Africa, which wasn't just wasn't about race and it wasn't about corruption. It was about something more innate. And we know here, of course, as well, you know, how enduring violence against women is so um, you know that was a that was an important story and I'm really glad I did it um, but I suppose another example I'd give is is the Art of Persia documentary series which I made for BBC4 um, you know and it was thrilled to be asked to do it by BBC studios um, and had an amazing team I worked with um, and we got to show that underneath the headlines of Iran this worrying government is a country with thousands of years of rich history. And you have to understand that there's more to a country than just what its regime does. Um, You know, if if we dismissed all of Russia because of Putin, then we would be failing to understand important things. And I just think there's a lot to celebrate about the culture of a country. So it was a huge thrill and a huge privilege to get access to a country which is mostly still closed, I think, to the West. Although there were still tour groups going through at the time and it was just amazing scenery and historic architectural ruins and food and people were amazing it was the most amazing trip of my life um, and it was great to be able to share it and i got emails from people like michael palin um, and Valerie Singleton, who was a very famous um, Blue Peter presenter, who both just out of the blue emailed me to say that series was amazing. And Michael Palin said, "I've never been to Iran. It's the one country I really want to get into." And of course, as you know, Michael Palin is the, the great, the great man who who kind of gave his name to the the centre and has done so much to support the work of Action for Stammering Children.
0: It is what I love is how much power a story can have and you can really tell sometimes the difference of how much of a story can make to someone's lives but also to a topic as well and I think one of the things that I found really interesting was how much support when it was the presidential election coverage how much support Biden had about his stammer, and I Mm -hmm. thought that wouldn't be covered at all, and I thought they would try and hide it or maybe use it by the support and um, the stories that came off it. And I think it was Amanda. Oh, I can't remember her surname, but the girl who did the poem at the inauguration. Gorman. Person, yeah, and I think every person at when I mean, in, in in inauguration had a speech and thought. And I don't think many people realised that until after but he chose people with a speech impediment. And I just found that quite a hard time. and I remember one of the interviews that I did, I think it was on BBC Morning Live and it was with actual some Children and after the show went live, because sometimes you don't know if like people reach out. I had four different people reach out to me and go, I, I I've got a stammer and I've never spoken about it But you've made me want to find help but also learn more about the topic because it's been something that I've wanted to hide and something that I'm afraid of showing and I didn't really think of that aspect until after because sometimes you do know these different articles like these podcasts and realise how much of a, of a effect it may have on some because sometimes you may not hear you may only hear two percent of your audience hear how good that episode was and what it meant for them and there was one well i'm not sure if i mentioned it to you previously but i had someone from nepal reach out to me saying wow. i have i found your work stammering your podcast and i had a stammer my whole life and and i hate it and He he was telling me some really scary stuff and he was saying your page has helped me a lot because over here we don't have the resources like in in other countries because their resources are so low and he's not been able to get a job for six years because all the jobs over there require fluency and he's not been able to find a job and I i said and he said can you cure my stammer and i said i can't cure your stamina. here i am no medical but i can just offer experience advice or experiences that i've been through that can help you Mm. and i mean had a really interesting chat about other different techniques but also like how his stammer wasn't actually that bad but he's found it really hard to get a job and and then he invited me to join the Nepal Stanley Association And inspire others, and it's been a real insight seeing how much of a huge community it is. The because that's what they have the sort of the association with the community, they don't really have the therapy that we have, that we're very fortunate to have over here. And then I had someone from India, someone from Nigeria, and that's what. The most about the last bit of my journey so far as just hearing that you think that when you stammer you're the only person in the world who stammers so because you don't you may not come across, but there's so many people across the world who stammer, yeah, who are going through the exact same situations as you think about it because I oh, we've said that going to a marketplace and it was the first time that I've spent any proper time with other people who stammer and going into like the conversation of the world of media, stammering is one of those subjects that sadly been quite a stereotypical subject with someone with a severe stammer so if you saw someone in a movie or a tv show it's normally someone with a severe stammer however like most disabilities. Like most disabilities, there's all aspects of the spectrum. So you have a moderate stammer, a mild stammer. And how do you, why do you think it's key to stammering, but also the disability? Uh, and why do you think it is so important to, um, I'm going to completely re say that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, following in to our conversation around media, like news and TV and film, Stamming is sadly a subject where being raised, and I think it's not, in general as well, like when you think someone who's stammers, you think of a severe stammer like the King's Beach, or you think of the Channel 4 documentary with Missy Afga from, from Educating New Yorkshire, like there's certain references that you think of and both those references have been severe stammers why, why do you think it's so important to show that is not just a severe stammer, and that there's so many different variations and that you just should not really sort of expect when there's actually a all aspect
1: well, first, I'd say I think we have come a decent way from the days. Dare I say, a fish called Wanda, which I think is unwatchable now. And I think, you know, it's interesting that Michael Palin, as a man who cares so much about stammering and you know, you know, had seen his father suffer with it, made a film like that. And it, you know, it just think the whole. We didn't understand how you didn't have to play those things for comedy. Um, So, one, I just find it interesting how far we've come since that film came out. I think A Film at the King's Speech is quite interesting because I remember it was not long before... It came out not long before we went to the Michael Palin Centre and we had it to watch at home because um, my son's father is... um, was a member of BAFTAS, so we got screening DVDs and we were watching it. My son couldn't watch it. I could tell he just found it excruciating. It was like torture to watch it. And I thought, why should we force him to either? So, you know, some of it is I don't I don't want to assume that anyone needs to see something. And you know, if they're living with it, then maybe that's enough. I just think we should do honest portrayal and um and in the way that I think with casting that we now see in stage and on on screen there's much more diverse casting whether it's in representation in terms of um, you know different kinds of disability or um, neurodiverse needs or anything else Um, and I'd like to think that people with stammering if with understanding and I think your public education is so important it's not just about giving people who stammer therapy it's people being understanding and accepting of it so all that would be part of changing the presentation but I'm also struck when I see Representations that you know they're a bit wild, and you think that actually is this exciting? So, there's a very famous song by The Who, um, talking about my generation when the singing of it is the stammer, you know. Um, do you know the song?
0: No, but, but I'm going to play it go, and, it go and go and play afterwards.
1: I'm trying to think of the, of the way it stammers, um, but it's stammering on the on a letter often, and it's you know, this was in the 1960s when stammering wasn't understood, but as far as I can tell, it's done deliberately. Um, and it's almost like there's a spluttering of anger. But it's also hearing someone singing with a stammer. It's the voice of someone, of an angry young man. And I find it thrilling. Now, maybe I shouldn't, I'm, I don't stammer. But I love the idea that, you know, it's the way that there are actors who take a, a disability and decide to make something of it as a as, as an artistic gesture. And so I don't know how many other examples there are of stammering being used for dramatic effect. Um, but I think that song is one of them. And um, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. So um, I, I think there should be no rules about uh, what people with stammers can and can't do and how they should choose to be represented. Um, but it's, it's, it's because, you know, I know that, I mean, if you give a different example, you know, the deaf community. You yeah. know, there's a there's a very strong political identity around deafness, and there are people who say, "I don't want to be hearing, and I don't want a hearing child." And you know, um and I respect that. I think stammering is interesting because, obviously, if you have therapy that works very successfully for you, you might essentially, to the outside world, not have a stammer anymore, even if you know it's always there, but you're able to manage it so that it's imperceptible. But I sometimes wonder: do people who stammer think, "No, I want." my stammer to show a bit I don't know sorry this may sound completely idle speculation but as a parent who spent a lot of time around people who stammer and with other parents of children who stammer I kind of want to know what what people who stammer want and whether you kind of it's a part of you isn't it
0: yeah I I say my stammer is me now I I said when I say that I wouldn't be me without my stammer and I—it's only since, since I became a stammer ambassador for Actually Stuttering Children, actually, where I really sort of learn just to like learn to love my stammer, and that's. But I've also, since doing my podcast, been speaking some really in interesting guests who stammer, and there was one guest called Sabrina Riso, and. Her story fascinated me because so she's Italian, so she's bilingual, and she only stammers when she speaks Italian, but not when she speaks English. <laughs> and it makes me wonder like, if I learn another language, would I stammer in that new language? Like, could there be certain pronunciations in in different languages that May be different from my stammer compared to, and um, then she was that actually, really, she stamps quite badly speaking Italian and not English at all.
1: That's so interesting. But it's like, I mean, that's one of the things. I would love it if there was lots of funded research because there's so many beautiful mysteries around stammering, around you know the fact that some people can sing very happily but have trouble speaking without a stammer, but they can sing beautifully. I remember when my son was little, he could talk completely happily to his toys in his room. But obviously, and I know it's to do with the stress and the tension, the moment there's another person in the room everything changes um and it's almost like a fairy story you know when you hear about someone who who can't speak except in a certain magical situation yeah. um so as i say i think there's this kind of poetic beauty um to the mystery around stammering i'm not trying to romanticize it as um, i'm really i'm really not but it's part of why i, I really want it to be understood um, because it's a kind of it's like you're being tangled up in something, yeah, you know, like yeah. a vine that's grown around you. And within you are yourself. And and it's just trying to get the spirit of every young person fully released. Um, so, as I say, I remember once hearing a documentary or it was, I think it was just interviewing some young people after the King speech came out about the impact of the film and their living with stammering. And they were all teenagers and I was just driving, listening to them, and they were aged between, I think, at kind of fourteen and sixteen. And they were all thoughtful and articulate, and they all had quite severe stammers, all different kinds. And I just burst into tears, um, and I couldn't quite explain why, other than that I felt huge affection and admiration, yeah. um, but also, you know, that protectiveness as a parent. I'm feeling it welling up in me now. You know, I, I'm better able to manage it. But it's it's I'd say for most of the past decade, um it's the thing that gets me crying very, very quickly is thinking about children who stammer, and whenever I hear them speak, it's just that of admiration
0: plus i I, I guess it sort of gives you pride like so I have pride talking to other people who stammer, seeing them say and do certain stuff and it's fascinating and it's great to see that you know, there are people who aren't letting their stammer and they're like, sometimes every single sentence can be a challenge for people, but it's such a proud, like when I do a presentation, I feel so good after it. not not because of the actual presentation, but because of my stammer. And was talking to my friend last week saying how I don't feel nervous doing any media interview. You can give me a radio interview who only feel slightly nervous. However, I feel way more nervous doing it in front of people who I know. So if I was doing a presentation at work, they all know that I stand there. But I feel way more nervous doing it in front of them than I would any like, media interview, which I'm not sure how that works in my brain, but I think I'm more conscious about it. I guess in front of people who I know than I guess... But one of the things with my stammer is that because I'm it's quite good now, but I still have bad days and stammer days. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I sometimes worry about it. if I'm going through a good stammer period and I'm sharing my story on I actually I think the situation says I like hope that I do stammer and it's, <laughs> it's really <laughs> So, like, it's a odd, but also it shows that my therapy has worked. But it's like one one of the rare occasions that I actually do want to stammer. And it's a really odd thing that goes on through my thought process of when I want to stammer. And, but so you do amazing work with Michael Palin Center. You're a trustee, and I'd love to talk to you more about what you do from that role but also why you think it's just so important like we spoke about it probably the episode but does what made you want to become a trustee for a Michael centre and actual starring children
1: well I should say first of all I was asked and I guess there's a practical thing which is because I work in the news media you know I bring a certain amount of knowledge and I guess maybe you know connections and thinking about ways of you know whether it's raising the profile or um potentially having contacts that might be useful. But as a recent parent, I suppose it was useful to have a trustee. And there are other trustees like me now as well who, you know, have come through um, the Action for Stammering Children and the Michael Palin Centre. And so are users, I guess you could argue, of the service and can kind of represent that. So I was very conscious of bringing, you know, the experiences of some of the other parents who, you know, lived a long way from London, you know, um, might have had much more financially you know, um, constrained background. So it's a huge ask, you know, um, to take the commitment required for some of the therapy. Um, And in some cases, the schools might be a lot less sympathetic. My son went to a small school, which was incredibly, you know, willing to, to help. So they changed the register so that no one had to say their name. You would just put your hand up. You know, it was a small strategy. It's not a substitute for therapy, but it was a it was a gesture the school initiated, which I thought was really thoughtful. You know, um, so you just want you're just conscious of bringing anything that's useful. And I guess part of being a trustee is also just you know the business of running a charity is checking the accounts and you know planning ahead about fundraising and what kind of work we want to support and can we support some research and, um, and the whole idea of having you know these brilliant young. Um, ambassadors like yourself William you know is something that came out of the board of trustees talking to you know um, the, the chief executive and um, you've done so much to raise the profile and also to help us reach new young people who need support whose families might not have known about us so much of it is the awareness and the helpline where people can just ring up or email in and get advice about where to find therapy locally and and actions and strategies um and just trying to build more of a network, I guess, of of support for families, because I always say, and I, I don't know if you say the same, but you know, the whole family is going through stress when anyone yeah. within it is living with a stammer. And I I know just anecdotally that you know people who had parents or grandparents who stammered who never got help who were silent or you know I mean no one wants that you know it's not, that that that's a terrible shadow to have had in your family, yeah. and and so I think. Parents um, can sometimes be thinking about what, they want things to be better for their children, but they, they're not equipped to you know how. They can feel quite helpless. Um, there's also the stress of what it does, both within the marriage and also the impact on other siblings, depending on how the, the stammer, how severe the stammer is. And of course, bullying in schools, which you hinted at, which angers me greatly. Um, and and so all those things in, the, in a certain different ways are, are what I suppose um, ASC is is trying to support families with. So I think you know, the way we always say it is, um, you know, it's a charity that exists to um, give advice, support and life, potentially life-changing therapy to children and young people who stammer and support for their families, you know, um, so that it does embrace the whole family and not just treat the individual child as if they're some kind of medicalized unit um, because so much of it is is still not understood or it is related to stress and anxiety you know.
0: A plus it must give you like the same emotions uh, as what you've been speaking about like sharing, like seeing someone with a stammer and then, when it's achieving so much but it must give you so much happiness seeing families go through the Michael Palin centre and, and going through the same thing as what you and your son did so it must give you so much joy seeing the amount of families and young people but also people of, of all ages who aren't getting support that they need for their stamina.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it is knowing firsthand the the, the life changing, the transformative effect that, that the therapy had on my son and my family. And, um, you know, I just, I just feel incredibly grateful for the amazing therapists and the patients and also the friendship, of other children and and parents you know i think that that sense of camaraderie that we found people who were going through the same thing so it was a shared um situation was also incredibly helpful um and yeah i mean every day i kind of count my family's blessings really it just changed our lives and i think made us take less things fewer things for granted um you know there's i guess an element of the, the I don't know if guilt's the right word, maybe it is, of being someone who I always was a fast talker. I talk for a living. I used to be able to give a best man's, I, would give, I gave a, you know a speech at my brother's wedding at five minutes notice. You know, I, I, I have no fear about speaking in public. So it felt particularly awful for my son um, to be dealing with a severe stammer and for me to be so helpless. You know, um, that's why I needed the professional support. Of the michael palin center to help me help him you know
0: yeah wow and moving on to the pandemic so i realized that when we got told that we were working from home the last thing here that i thought about was my stomach because i thought surely it wouldn't i realized that i was stammering on new words but also it was getting quite mm. bad because I, I realise that my stamina's the best is when I've been talking to lots of people. So I've been working from home today uh, from when we are recording this and I've only had two calls today. So hence why my stamina's quite bad compared to the night we met at uh, the, the evening of Red Bulls because I had been at the office that day where I've been talking to lots of different people and because you don't realise how many people you talk to when you go into the office, so like you're talking to people at prep, you're talking to mm. people catching the lift, you're talking to people when at your desk. But when you're working from home, you talk to your family or whoever you live with and the odd two minute call. So you're not really you as such. So mm. my channel was, wasn't was turning over, when my voice wasn't going for that turnover stage which I never really knew before but I realized that now's my chance to work on my stamina and find techniques that can work for me because because I'm not going to commuting time I'm not I'm I'm saving lots of time in my life so let's just and I'm sitting by myself in in a room so if I know a word I'm going to say just repeat it out loud by myself and one, one of my biggest fears my whole life was picking up the phone because of I've discussed hello H is, is quite hard. But because of for me to talk to my team working from home, I have to pick up the phone and answer calls from them. So I've found different techniques that work like I go morning or afternoon and I or some sometimes I can go hello or and it's weird how I've conquered one of my biggest fears by this current situation i am all going through. Well, that's when it taught me that other people are going through the same thing and because people are now going back to the office and they may be scared about going back into the in-person environment because sometimes you may forget people your team and someone in your team may have a stammer or they may not want to talk as such what yeah. advice would you give to those people who stand like who well, are maybe going back to university or going back to like going back into social environments what advice
1: would you give oh see I I think I'm I'm not qualified to give advice the one thing I I would pass on which I know other people who have said and it seems to me logical is if you can give people easy pre-notice so you know the ex- classic example being you know you've got an interview a zoom interview for a job or even just for sort of some advice with someone you've never met before um, why not drop the mini meal to say looking forward to speaking to you just be aware i've got a stammer and if i seem to pause it might be because of that so just let you know and it means it straight away in fact someone says it to me it takes the stress off you because you've now told them they've already ready for it so you're more you're less likely to stammer anyway um, but, so that, that's what I would, <laughs> if I had a stammer, I think I would do that. But I have to say, I know it's not for me to tell people. And there are others who might say, I feel my stammer is under control. I don't want to make people aware of it if they don't need to be. Um, and and I, it's not for me, it's not for me to judge. But I would say it's completely reasonable. In the same way that if you had any other kind of condition or special circumstance, like um you know i've got i've got i've just had a tooth extracted so my face is a bit swollen so that's why i might sound a bit muffled i don't know i mean i know it's not the same but anything which might help them feel at ease will make you at ease potentially too so i don't know if that's that's reasonable that's a point of view
0: Um, yeah and i think it's just having the confidence because your team know that you stammer like they don't know it, but the same that having a just reminder that it may be different in person and because I I was doing an update of, of a podcast and my team meeting my team was so supportive about my stamina, which is amazing. And I thought they were still online, but if you if you if you of us were at the office and I just said that's out of curiosity, is it still gonna be online? And they said, Oh no, we've booked a room and then the meeting was in ten Minutes time, and my brain was just rushing through so many thoughts for some reason. Um, Presenting in person, I find way more nerve wracking when Zoom can talk to 20, 30, 40 people without thinking about it because you can't see all those faces. Yeah, and like during day, a, me- a big meeting, my brain was just thinking. And um, then, then that was my thought process gone until, right until my time of doing my slides and my presentation. Because I hadn't mentally prepared myself for doing it in person. I had mentally prepared myself for doing it virtually. And it's like giving notice of my demo adapting to the sort of in person compared to virtual situation. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Not not then realizing, hmm. How's this going? Because I, I was like, well, no, but my brain was like, don't, you're talking about your stammering work. It doesn't matter. I mean, I know that you stammer, but does that thought process was really odd. does that quick, adaptate, mm. that quick sort of thought process of going, oh, it's now in person. The worst thing, the worst thing for me is, I think it's my dyslexia slash dyspraxia is when something happens to my routine. And then my whole day go goes up because because my brain's so set around a routine, like having that schedule. And when it's something changes, it no, that's my day done for. And it's like, oh no. So I have got a question that I ask that I ask my guests, and I don't pay you with beforehand. When you think of someone
1: famous who stammers, who do you think of? Oh, well, I think of Emily Blunt, because whenever I notice someone who stammers, I think, oh, and I notice it. And I tell the charity trustees, I think of Sam Neill, the actor, who I love and I've interviewed him. And I also think of one of my favourite writers, Arnold Bennett, who was the kind of J.K. Rowling of his day. He wrote um, sort of in the early 20th century, sort of 19. late late 1890s to the 1920s he died in 1931 and he was the most successful novelist he sold you know oh. millions of copies of his books um the most famous of which is probably um the old wives tale and um anna of the five towns oh, wow. but he had a stammer and he was a, a you know lower i think it was Fred's, he was a working class boy from stoke-on-trent from the potteries who kind of educated himself and became a journalist and a successful novelist and playwright um, and even wrote a film screenplay um, wow. and he was he talked about working with Alfred Hitchcock although they never made a film together um, so he battled the sort of snobbishness of the literary establishment who thought he was a lower class oik from the north and he dealt with the stammer and you know without wow. any of the modern understanding of Therapy and there's you know there's Roman emperors and things who stammered. I mean you look through history yeah. and you find all these records of famous people, um, a lot of artists. So I have a list somewhere. So I always get excited yeah. when I find someone who stammers because yeah. you know if I've heard of them in history, they were talented.
0: And but you will be surprised that those are all all names. No one's ever said those oh, from the series before. Like it's really. Well, I love hearing what people say because, like, we've had a few Joe Bidens or we've had a few, like, King George. And, like, we've had a few new names, but there are some names that I don't think... Like, my favourite one to say that stammered is Will Ed Sheeran. He's down with which no one really stormsy, And he stands mm. And that's why he doesn't do that many media in... That's why you never really see him talk He lives in India
1: really yeah i once saw um, him running on the street sorry to interrupt but just if i see him again i'm not going to go up to him and stop him on yeah. the street and have a word
0: yeah. and like they so so you're saying that um so that um, your marilyn Mer- Mer- monroe's brassy tones that's her techniques for her stammer and i love that fact
1: Yes, well, now that you said Marilyn Monroe, as I say, every name you've said, I realize I have heard and I've noted somewhere that, ah, oh, they've got a stammer. And there was one other, the actor who plays Darth Vader, who does the voice of Darth Vader. Oh. Um,
0: I think it's L. Jones, uh, James L. Jones. James L. Jones. Yeah. And Van Elvis Presley. And I, there's one that makes sense. Lauren Atkinson has a stammer, and that could maybe relate to his Mr. Bean character of not talking, which I've never really pieced those together, but that was just a thought that I had the other day, back. because R- Rowan does have a stammer, maybe that was one of his thoughts behind the Mr Bean character of not talking. Interesting. So my final question, and it's been really lovely to talk to you, but also been fascinating to hear, hear from a parent's perspective. So, if you could, so it's been absolutely lovely talking to you, hearing your perspective, but also just talking about the topic in general I and mean, the wonders that the Michael Palin Centre does for, for people who's. So, if you could give three pieces of advice to someone who stammers and three pieces of advice to someone who doesn't stammer for a situation if they come across someone with a stammer. What so For
1: someone be? who stammers, I would say um, if you're a young person, go to the Action for Stammering children website, ASC Stammering. And there's lots of advice about um, things you can do and some ways to get support and therapy where you live. It's not about coming to London. It's not about having to come to the Michael Palin Centre. Um, and there's kind of network I think, so they can put you in touch with other people. So the first thing I'd say is do that. Um, I would also then more broadly, you know, um, make sure that you do ask for help. I think it's it's important to know. And I guess for adults, you know, it's interesting how many adults sometimes are seeking help for the first time. Um, And again, I would say that's a really brilliant thing to do. Maybe find a network of like-minded people, um, you know, who are also living with stammering and support each other. Um, And thirdly, I suppose I'd say, tell people where appropriate like what i said about just letting people know in advance look just be aware i've got to stammer i just feel it's it gives it's fair to the other person who often might be absolutely mortified to think they didn't know um and you know and it also helps you and then advice for people who don't stammer i think the first thing is um you know you you kind of need to be aware that it's not always obvious and if someone seems hesitant, I wouldn't. We all just need to slow down and allow the possibility that maybe the other person is trying to is trying to finish a thought. Um, and again, I think I think you know the ASC website would be able to give kind of you know kind of great general um, advice and direct you to places to learn. If you know someone who stammers, you know, might be good to ask them you know, if they could give you, I mean, I think the best thing would be to ask a person who stammers, yeah. what would they advise um, you to do? And um, so that's that two pieces of advice. And what's the third piece of advice? Um, support, actually, for stammering children, uh, if yeah. you can. And, you know, there's so much we're, we're learning about stammering and, and the most effective forms of treatment. But as you, William, and my son are both testaments, the fact that the right therapy can have a transformative effect and liberate young people to be themselves. And that's exciting. It's like seeing people kind of break out of the the chrysalis and, you know, kind of come out fully formed and be themselves. So uh, that's just wonderful. We should all support that.
0: And then, then for, for our listeners, you'll be able to find all the links, Touching for Starring Children Emma and the Michael uh, Palin Centre in, in the bio. And, but also a link to a donation page because they've definitely changed my life. And I know I've changed hundreds and thousands of many more. Mm-hmm. So Samira, it's been absolutely lovely. Talk- and thank you for coming onto the podcast. for feel, feel, feel very privileged for you to come on to the show.
1: Not at all, It was so lovely to meet you and um real honor to be asked and the work you do is so important and not every young person who stammers is willing to kind of go put in the extra work required to be an ambassador, which you have, so I'm kind of really grateful um, and I think you you know you you do a lot for those younger people who are you know too shy or for whatever reason don't feel that they can step up, so thank you for taking on that extra responsibility thank you
0: and um, well, thank you to to our listeners for supporting us for this year. Because this is been a new year, happy new year special, I just wanted to say a massive thank you from for me. We've been listened to in over 40 countries. We've hit over a thousand streams, which is something that I never dreamt of. And it's been a pleasure sharing my story. And we've got so many exciting things lined up for 2022. So many exciting guests and hopefully some more live, some live as dreams and uh, maybe some some networking events as well but remember to to follow us on Twitter and, and Instagram where we share all our exciting updates and facts and and see you next time in two weeks for the next episode thank you bye.